This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. In May of 2023, I asked you to participate in a survey that would help me serve you better in future episodes of Grace Enough. A common response to the question, what topics, guests, or ideas would you like to see featured on future Grace Enough episodes was me. Many of you ask me to share older books that have impacted my life and why. You ask to hear more of my story and the topics I speak to as a Christian women speaker. You also ask me to talk about spiritual formation and maintaining a healthy spiritual life. I'll be honest with you, solo episodes are intimidating to me. And one area where I have seen the Lord work in my life is confidence and humility. For the last three years, the journey of sorting out how both can exist in the life of an apprentice of Jesus is too lengthy to flesh out in this intro. But maybe, just maybe, that will be a journey I share at some point when I do publish my first solo episode. With that said, today is a bonus episode where me and my friend Amy Fritz, the host and creator of the Untangled Faith podcast, we sit down to discuss the docu-series, Shiny Happy People. Yes, I know it is the current hot topic, and some of you want to hear every opinion out there. And some of you want to cover your ears and run because you are so very tired of hearing about the failings of Christians. But hear me out. Amy and I do not spend a ton of time attacking specific individuals. We do, however, discuss how we are all influenced by someone else's thoughts. What's at risk when you choose to stand up for what's good and right and true? How letting go of legalism has influenced our parenting and resting under the authority of Jesus is enough. If you're up for that conversation, then this episode is for you. Amber, you said you're a little nervous. How are you feeling? Um, I feel okay. I feel a little bit nervous, mostly because these are words that will live out there forever. <laughs> and I tend to change my mind. Yeah. Um, sometimes even while I'm talking. So that could be a good thing or bad thing. I don't know, but <laughs> I'm kind of a verbal processor. I love it. And so and so people, especially intelligent people, if I'm having a conversation with them, I can kind of shift a little bit. Uh, well, here, let me give you some reassurance. <laughs> I have listened to some pastors say that they don't even have their old um, sermons up available anymore because they don't agree with their past self. <laughs> I have thought that about, I've thought that even about some of my own podcasts, right? Because yeah, over yeah. the last four years, now there hasn't been things like, that are maybe this draft, you know, a huge shift to something. Yeah. But I'm sure if some of them I listened to, I'd be like, oh, 
I don't feel that way anymore. That's a good sign. I think, I think, I, it think means, so. I think it means that we're trying to be better people. It's spiritual formation. That's what it, it is. is. I think at the front of Beth Allison Barr's book, when I first started listening to it, um, she said that someone had asked her, like, are you willing to have your mind changed? Mm-hmm. And that was a really powerful moment because I think some people hear that and shudder in fear. Yeah. And I think that I used to probably be that person, but I'm not anymore. Yeah. I'm, I've been that person. Um, but you know, I keep thinking, coming back to the idea that Jesus is stronger than this. Like he's hold, he's right. going to hold up to the scrutiny. <laughs> he's gonna we hold say up. we believe that, but then a lot of times we act very different. We act out of fear and saying yeah. like, Ooh, I can't talk to anyone who believes differently than me. Cause if I do, I might be swayed. Now, should your life be formed by those people? No. Yeah. But that's different than that conversation, we're, we're doing right? A, we're doing a book club right now at our church and it is not a Christian book. Um, it's Kate Bowler's book. It's one of it's yeah. her memoir. I don't even remember the name of it. It's over here. Oh, no cure for being human. And our ministry director was like, Hey, this isn't a Bible study. So I want you to read it. And I want you to approach this, uh, as a filter and not a sponge. Mm, I, thought, I love oh, that. Oh man, that is so great. So I'm going to give a shout out to Melanie Rayner on that because I think we all need to learn how to be filters. Like we can interact yes. with things and we can be like, mm, maybe I agree. Maybe I don't. And that is a good exercise for adults. We can do this. Yes. And we should. It's called thinking. That's right. You've been reading an interesting book and I didn't tell you I want to talk about this, but I want you to tell me what book you're reading. That's like <laughs> informing how you're thinking about thinking. How to Think by Alan Jacobs. And it's interesting that you said Kate Bowler because she is local here in Raleigh. She teaches, you know, at Duke Divinity, but she has been someone who has come and spoken um, at the Center for Public Christianity, which is who has recommended this book, How to Think. And um, it's really one of the big basis of the book is that our thoughts are informed by other people's thoughts and mm-hmm. that really we're none of us are individual thinkers. Um Oftentimes, and I I will, I'm going to read this one quote because it's so great. It's so great. Thinking is necessarily thoroughly and wonderfully social. Everything you think is a response to what someone else has thought and said. And when people commend someone for thinking, in quotes, thinking for herself, they usually mean ceasing to sound like people I dislike and starting to sound more like people I approve of. Oh, yes. Isn't that true? I mean, guilty, guilty. Well, she's finally starting to think for herself. Well, because that's the way I think. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I changed my mind. Everybody should change their mind the exact same way. (laughs) But if you're thinking like someone else, then we're like, they must be being influenced by so-and-so, which we're going to kind of talk about today. That can be... We can be influenced. I think it's good to acknowledge it, right? It, when you come to a conversation without acknowledging it, like it's just not intellectually honest. So yeah. What What did you say about your friend, Lauren? Oh, I was saying my friend Lauren had mentioned a similar book, probably mentioned, probably referred to in that book about thinking fast and slow. I bet it's like yes. in the bibliography or whatever about how 
Like it's just too much for our brain to have to like think through every little step of it every time. So we do like little shortcuts. And now I feel like I have to read this book and the book that Lauren recommended. He does. He dives into that a little bit, talking about system one and system two. And that that's why so many of of us have biases and biases are not necessarily a bad thing because biases also keep us out of walking into trouble sometimes. Yeah, and that's yeah. system one. If our if our brain had to always think every single time we look at a situation and say, okay, that's on fire, should I walk into it or should I not walk into it? I mean, obviously that's not a bias, yeah, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? Um, like our brain automatically sorts that for us. Yeah. Um, and so we don't think about it and that's healthy, but sometimes that gets a little bit messed up. Yeah. And it's like learning to read. I, you know, taught my kids to read some homeschool mama. And when they're first learning, they have to sound out every word. But at a certain point, the brain is like, I know that word. Yes. I have to sound it out. We have a little mm-hmm. shortcut. So it's sort of sort of the same. Yeah, it is. Our brains learn. Sometimes they have to relearn. You are really smart, Amber. Why aren't you talking on your podcast more about <laughs> your own opinion? <laughs> your own opinion that you're influenced by other people to have your opinion. That's right. That's right. Well, that's why we're doing this. Amy, you're very smart too. I feel like you on your show are a little bit better about having a dialogue with people, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Do you feel like you dialogue with them fairly well? Um, I think I know what they're thinking about. Okay. I think I know what they're talking about online. I think that, um, and sometimes I come to a conversation, not as a podcast host, but as a, uh, interested, like partaker in the situation. And so I think that's sort of like what we're doing today. We're talking as friends. We're not talking as I'm not here to interview Amber. Amber's not here to interview me. We're in this situation where we're like, we're going to have an interesting conversation and we're going to record it so that we don't (laughs) later on go, Oh man, we could have made that into a podcast. That's right. Which is what I do on Marco Polo or Voxer often. I'm like, man, I wish I had that on recording. (laughs) That sounds great. (laughs) Yes. Yes, absolutely. This episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. So what are we talking about today, Amy? All right. So there are a couple (laughs) things on my mind and the internet's mind. One is the internet's mind. (laughs) The Amazon Prime docuseries shiny happy people which has become like the the most successful thing that amazon has put out i don't even know if they were ready for this i don't know if they were prepared they've got more people signing up for amazon prime from this from than from i don't know what campaign they've had in the past so people are watching it and they are talking about it 
And I wanted to talk about that as one of the topics that we talk about today, because it covers uh, the influence. Uh, well, maybe they didn't say the influence, but like it, it talks about um, Bill Gothard, Institute for Biblical Life Principles, IBLP, their homeschool thing. And of course, the very famous family of the Duggars. And mm-hmm. everyone's talking about it. And I wanted to talk about our thoughts that about too. it. So <laughs> I'm going to say this first about Amazon Prime. It's interesting that you say that because one of the things my mother-in-law said was, I'm not sure if I want to watch it because I don't want to continue to play into that. The most, the best thing that we need to keep searching for to make are like all the docu-series where everyone just screws up. Oh, interesting. Um, I have seen some people refer to this sort of thing as like failure porn or... I'm, I've never heard that, but... Yeah. I mean, let's talk about that. So this is this is not the best parts of Christianity. Oh, um, I mean, and I hopefully not. To, <laughs> it can be easy to dismiss something like that and say, either they aren't really Christians or this isn't what Chris, really what Christians do. So like, what are your thoughts on that? Actually, just last night, I was finishing watching, I can't even think of what it was right now, but it was basically about culture and Christianity and some of the choices that we have made in the name of Jesus along the way, Mm -hmm. things like they were walking through the Crusades, they were walking through Inquisition, not the Spanish Spanish Inquisition, but the Inquisition that took place um, among Christians and people. And at the end the guy sits down and he plays this beautiful Mozart um, piece on a cello. Mm -hmm. And the point they make is we don't discredit the person who wrote the masterpiece. If someone sits down and plays it wrong. And so then they had a guy come up and he plays the instrument and it sounds awful. Yet we still can say it is a beautiful masterpiece. Like we've listened to other people play it. And they were talking about that in the sense of because some Christians along the way have played it horribly. And I hate to use the word play because that's not what it is. But in this context, everyone understands that. We don't throw out the whole thing. We don't just say Christians act like that. That's trash. Yeah. And you know, that's what I cling to, right? Like, no, when you read the person of Jesus, when you really dig into what scripture says about different things and even see some of the horrible stuff that happens in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. uh, There's still a really beautiful story and truth lived out there that I base my life on Mm -hmm. because I've seen things different. Um, I've seen it played horribly. I've seen it played well, and I've seen myself do both. So I don't, I wouldn't say that we can say they're not Christians. Right. I've heard, like, like you said earlier, like we're all influenced by other people and their thoughts and all these things. So if I remember who influenced me on certain things, I I try to, I try to mention it. But um, one thing, like I mentioned my friend Lauren earlier, and she, she often warns against the no true Scotsman fallacy where we, we really would love to watch something like this and see some of these really horrifying things and say, they're not really Christians. 
<laughs> they're not really one of us right? as a way to distance ourselves. And I don't know, maybe some of these people are really just, you know, capitalizing on people's faith and fears and making some money off of it. And they never really had a genuine faith. Maybe. I don't know, but I also know that there's a lot of people that really do claim the same faith and love of Jesus that makes some really horrible decisions. And me saying they're not one of us doesn't help us reckon with making it better. And I think mm-hmm. that not having the conversation is not helping us. Um, Caitlin Chess talks about how it's so much easier just to make a rule about to like outlaw things or make things illegal. And like, we're just not, we're just gonna make a law about it or a rule about it. And then you don't even have to talk about it. It is harder to have the conversation. Yes. And here we are, we have to be willing to have the conversation because we want to make, we want to get better. We, yeah. we can't be better if we say everything's perfect and anything that is not, is just an attack from the enemy. And it's not really people that love Jesus. I mean, we have that conversation with ourselves in every yeah. area of life. What it, what is the struggle? Well, okay, I'm going to preface that by saying not everybody has that conversation because sometimes we do get in the echo chamber and we have preached to ourselves the same thing with all the same people so much that I, what thinking at all outside of what the whole group thinks becomes, um, you become an outsider. And, and yeah. that book, How to Think, talks about that some. Some of us care more about fitting into a group and belonging to that group that to push back against that, there's a couple of different things that happen. There's fear that something bad actually will happen to you if you push back. Yeah. There's also fear of not belonging, mm-hmm. right? So powerful. Yeah. And if it, if certain thought processes you're so, are so ingrained in you, it's really hard when you're a part of a group to actually think about I'm losing everything yeah. to think something different. And I think we see that with Jill Duggar. Yeah. Oh, that poor woman. I mean, she, but she made a courageous, difficult choice. Yeah. Now she has the support of her husband, which it was just a beautiful thing to watch on the mm-hmm. documentary, in my opinion. Yeah, very um, powerful. Yeah, I mean, he didn't, he spoke when he, I felt like he should speak, and he didn't try to rule over her, which was clearly different than what she had been raised in. Yeah, I like um, that he, but she lost he everything. Did, yeah, even when he did speak, because she was like overcome with emotion, he yes. was like, basically like, does this sound right? And yeah. so tender. Yeah, it was really powerful and emotional just to see somebody grappling with something really hard that happened to them still Mm -hmm. loving Jesus and saying, Mm -hmm. you know what, this story is going to come out one way or another. I I want, I want somebody that lived it. I want to be, have my voice heard. It is so hard to think, what do I lose if I say something negative about this, this thing that maybe I've benefited from some in some way, yeah. Your family, your church. That's right. Like, and it's not your always friendships. appropriate. Yeah. It's not always appropriate to bring up issues. It's not going to be, not everybody needs to be on a docuseries um, for the world to see. But like, obviously she weighed it and she made it a hard decision and decided to participate in this. And yeah. she loves Jesus. 
Well, and that's the thing. I think that if we were able to sit and ask her questions, she would even say, and, and maybe this is not fair to say, but um, no, there are things that I grew up that I learned. There are things even from Bill Gothard that I learned that I still believe. Yeah. Yeah. Her sister would say, you know, this isn't her sister who wrote the um, free indeed um, ginger wrote like Mm -hmm. uh, this wasn't actually the the truth things that stood weren't really about Gothard anyways. Right. Right. Like Gothard stood between (laughs) the people and Jesus, you know, and God. And that was just not the way. Yeah, not the way it's supposed to be. So, well, and I feel like one of the things too, the chew and spit method, that's something that Hillary Morgan Ferrer um, refers to, you know, just that ability to take information in, chew it all up and spit out, you know, it's basically discernment, right? It's learning to spit out what is not true and cling to what is true. Now we all have a different filter (laughs) that we put that through. But it's really, really important because she also says, you know, the likelihood that one person can say only all bad things or all good things, like that's a pipe dream. We all say true things and false things. And so we kind of have to sort through that ourselves. And it's more, it takes more energy. Uh, We want to do the lazy way of being like, okay, I trust Amber. So if she says the thing, I'm just going to, I'm going to read the things that she says to read. I'm just going to do what she says. Cause isn't that easier than like doing the work, looking at the word, praying and listening to the Holy spirit like that. <laughs> one of those things is. is easier. I mean, my kids go to a school where it's classical education. So it's a lot of this, the Socratic method where you're yeah. learning to just basically ask why over and over and over again. Um, okay. But it's more than that. Why would you have your kids? Why would you have your kids learn that ever? <laughs> You're paying money for that. That's right. Well, and what's interesting is when you look at Jesus in the Word, and he's talked. You know, he asked so many questions, right? Like Jesus. Yeah. And now we're talking a lot about that. Like it's not bad to ask questions. We should act more like Jesus. Well, Jesus also was raised. I mean, the time of his life was a Socratic type of method, so that's yeah. how people interacted. Um, but what I see that's interesting is as my children are learning this and they're beginning to ask some more questions, not just of me, but of teachers and leaders that even some of those people that are teaching them, they're not very open to the questions. That is fascinating. Yeah. We can't just say that it's out there that we need to weigh and ask the questions. Like we ask, we ask our Bible study teachers. We ask our Christian school teachers, our Sunday school teachers, our favorite Christian leaders. You should be able to ask the questions of the the teachings that they yes. are putting out there, and it's it can be scary, like, especially if somebody wants to question us. Yeah, I, I get kind of squirmy on the inside when I know somebody's challenging my thoughts, as do we all. But um, yeah, yeah, an yeah. open dialogue is a good it's a good good thing, which. Is interesting because with the whole situation with Gothard, it seemed like one of the, and not just with him, this is with anything that comes across as quote unquote cultish, you're not open to being questioned. Yeah. And that seemed like what was happening. And they pointed that out a lot in the docuseries. I don't know. Do you want to speak to that? Because you speak to people who yeah. um, are in abusive situations all the time. 
Yeah, I, I think that is one of those red flags. Uh, if there are a lot of rules, <laughs> some are written and some aren't. And it, certain people are drawn to that because there is a security in having like somebody tell you it's like that spiritual laziness somebody's and, and, you know, I'm not saying that as a way to like talk down to somebody, like we all do it. We like, this is what the Israelites did. Like we want a King. <laughs> they right? all have a King. We want one too. It's so much easier just to have somebody you can see uh, that can tell you what to do. Um, yeah. And, but I think the problem is when you look to that person and that person decides whether you're in or you're out or the organizations decides you are in or out based on a whole lot of rules. And I think like that, that line between like healthy and unhealthy, there's a continuum. It's not just like one thing, like you cross mm-hmm. the line and mm-hmm. you're out. But like when it comes to like, this is an unhealthy organization, but like when there's lots of things and they dangle a carrot of belonging <laughs> with like obeying lots and lots of rules. Mm-hmm. And you can't necessarily find them like in scripture, like, and everything becomes this salvation issue. Like everything is elevated to a life or death decision. Yeah. Instead of saying these are, you know, like when we think about even in our Christian podcaster group, we have a lot of people with a lot of different denominations, but like Mm -hmm. we come together on like, you know, we we believe in Jesus. You know, we don't have a creed or anything we sign, but most of us, what we could agree on is probably the Nicene Creed. That's right. Yeah. That is the non-negotiable. Now, yeah. do we believe there are other issues that are important and can yes. very much impact our lives? Yes. But we can't, we don't elevate it all to this level of like, hmm, here's the thing. You're out and you, you wore a shirt that had the wrong buttons on it, right. or had, you had a bow in the wrong place. And like the Duggar, like the, not the Duggar thing, the IBLP Gother thing is like, they put a lot of heavy burdens on people about like, mm-hmm. you wore a high heeled shoe. That is an eye trap. People you're making, you are making men look <laughs> at like, your ankles what? and you, it makes women into like a danger. Yes. Among (laughs) many other things. Yeah. So, I mean, there's just lots and lots of burdens where yes, we serve a holy God, but oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Like, where did this come from? Well, and I mean, stand up to scrutiny and they didn't really allow scrutiny. And it, it reminds me of, as we look at the law before Christ came, I can sometimes imagine people feeling like that. Um, and then some people will go and say, well, why would God do that? Um, and there's a whole host of reasons that sometimes I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I understand all of the ways of God, because I certainly do not. Um, <laughs> I do know that in that time, people weren't widely um, educated. There weren't things like the printing press. There weren't um you you go out and shop for all these different life was very different. So yeah. there were a lot of things that were put in place to make sure things got done, that there was yeah. safety. There was a lot of things for health reasons. There were, there were a lot of things that we can't wrap our minds around today, really, unless you do a huge deep dive into what life was actually like, or maybe if you've been to a foreign country where there's yeah. not any of these things yeah. yet still people abused 
those rules. Yeah. Well, then fast forward to this situation. It's like, first of all, you're applying law to people when that kind of law is no more. Yeah. Yes. The moral law still exists, but law about rules about food and clothing and all these things like, mm -mm. yeah, there's a reason why we don't have that anymore. Yeah. Um, and you're doing that now and life is very different now. Yeah. Um, and so that's an interesting dynamic to me, for me too, like how we treat, uh, what we read in the word, because sometimes it just feels like people just kind of along the way, make some decisions and then maybe that becomes the Bible for them. Yeah. And that's scary. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And that's how abuse goes rampant. Yeah. Yeah. And right? I think there were people that, you know, I don't, I'm not talking, uh, I'm not putting shade on anybody that followed any of this because there are so many people that were hungry for, for Jesus, hungry for God, that thought this was the way. And he promised, Bill Gothard promised you, if you follow these principles, you will be blessed. And they really believed, they really believed he was speaking for God. They really, really believed. And I think understanding the truth of what was happening helps us realize that we should like really consider all of those things he was saying, because a lot of people didn't realize, and maybe still don't, is that this is an unmarried dude who's never mm -hmm. had children who's making a lot of rules about the how family. to have a great marriage. Yeah. And how to run your family and how to be a great parent, a mother, a father. And, you know, maybe he argued that Jesus didn't have any children, was never married, but he was abusing, he was abusing young gals when mm -hmm. they would come to work at the headquarters that he, where he lived and had like their headquarters, I think was it in Wisconsin or in Chicago area, somewhere in the Midwest, I think. And people, and he would prey on really vulnerable young women that had come from abusive backgrounds. He just knew, you know, he'd hear the stories. He would get them, their parents to send them to this headquarters as young as like underage to work there. And they thought that they, they were being chosen and mm -hmm. it was like this wonderful thing. But in the end, he was abusing them. So, so many of them. And so much so that people started to realize that he had a type, like there was a look of a certain sort of gal. They're like, that is like, that is his kind of person. And that, that is just horrifying. Just imagine being that parent that wanted the best for your kid and then realized that, oh my goodness, I just sent them into the the worst of the worst situation. I have so much empathy for those parents and grappling oh. through what that was. But like, uh, I think if we had never, if we had always said, we don't talk about bad things, about things that have to do with Christianity, right? we would not have been able to shine a light on this situation to keep more people from being assaulted and groomed. Well, and why do you think people are so scared? Scared may not be the right word, but like, I just don't want to talk about or hear about bad things that happen in the church. Like, it, you think that's like, that goes along with certain personality types? Sorry, I know this is a total side note, but I've wrestled through this because I have had a couple people, you know, say like, 
Amber, I appreciated Grace enough more when you just shared these kinds of stories. I haven't listened as much since you share these kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, is that, I don't know. I just want to know I, your thoughts on that. <laughs> well, different people at different places. Right. Yeah. But I think that it, it goes back to what you said earlier about the cost yeah. of entertaining certain things, because a lot of our, you know, we have these organizations or communities that we get some benefit from relationships, friendships, endorsements, literal or figurative. And if you entertain that, you may lose some of that. And that's scary. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody's best friend says, I went through all of the Institute for Basic Life Principles and their Advanced Training Institute homeschool program, and it was absolutely wonderful nothing bad ever happened. I don't see any issue with it. And that is your best friend. Right. And she doesn't ever want to talk about it. Well, I'm not going to want to like listen to a lot of it because that will make me feel uncomfortable with my best friend. I get that. I do get that. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Or if their church runs Gothard programs, you know, like what does that mean? Like, what if their kids are really happy there <laughs> and you have to think about, cause you might have to make some hard decisions. And so our brains want to protect us from making those decisions yep. that cost us something. I I'm sure there are a number of people out there who would say exactly what you just said. Yeah. And that, then their experience was great. It's so tricky. Uh, my mm-hmm. argument to that is now that, you know, this isn't somebody that just made a bad decision. This guy did criminal things. And the only reason he's not being prosecuted is because the statute of limitations is up. And he got rich based on parents' good intentions of wanting to take care of their kids. There are other really great resources out there. That's so wonderful that so-and-so had a great experience. Let's give our money to some other place. It's like what Mary Demuse said when she was on my show that really helped me. Like when people, um, you know, just asking this idea of forgiveness and how we're supposed to just forgive, forgive, forgive. And, um, and I asked her about that, like, so what do we do when people we've trusted or, you know, Christians and as a Christian, this happens, like, do we just never let them step back in and do these kinds of things? And she was like, yeah, basically that's right. Because they don't, it doesn't mean they're not forgiven. It just means we don't put them back in positions of, power and influence. Yeah. And you know, yeah, that person can work, um, at a gas station, just like the next, next person. Um, and you know, I think she said it a lot more eloquently than we just did. I love Mary. She's so (laughs) great. I do too. Yeah. I've heard people say it's like, it's, it's not, we think it's a gift to people to be like putting them back in that position. Yeah. But like you forgive them. And the best thing you can do for them is not put that alcoholic back in the bar. You will help get them set up with another way to make income. And I would say forgiving and giving grace to Bill Gothard is keeping him away from young women and away Mm -hmm. from having influence on people this way. He needs to do something else. Absolutely. All right. I wanted to ask you, because we're both moms, we are wanting to raise our kids to love Jesus and we are seeing how it goes very badly in some of these, these cases. Like, I think there's a lot of people who joined in 
gave a lot of money to Gothard because they loved Jesus and they really wanted their kids to follow Jesus. I agree. So what do you think when you see something like this and like when all the legalism and like, how, how does this inform, uh, you know, your approach to teaching your kids? Yeah. I feel like it's hard even at times for me to answer this because of the age of my kids. Cause they could turn out to be like mass murderers for all I know. <laughs> Please God, what don't a, let that a, happen. Put a pin in that. <laughs> I know. They're 13, 10, and 7. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but here's the first thing I will say. I can be a bit of a skeptic. Anytime there is a massive, huge following around a person and an organization, I mean, like Bill Gothard size or promise keeper size or Dave Ramsey size, my antennas go up. And the reason why is because you can start with really, really excellent intentions and we're still humans. And when we get that much power, even when you started with a true heart for the Lord, it is so easy if you have not chosen to surround yourself with people who have true can hold you truly accountable. Yeah. Um, it can go bad really, really, really fast. And it becomes about you and it becomes about how much money you can make. And it becomes about you making sure you market yourself in a way to where the next year you make more money. Yeah. And so as a parent, I do not, I rarely, 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 if ever buy into the one thing that all the other people are doing. Yeah. Um, like my red flags just go off. And I mean that when I say like focus on the family, any of it. And when I say my red flags go up, I don't mean that I am canceling them and never paying attention to them. Yeah. I mean that my filter, like you were talking about earlier, I definitely transform from a sponge into a filter. Okay. I see this. Is this kind of hairy? Is this kind of, you know, are we appealing to the masses here? Or are we really using the scripture here? Um, so I pay a lot of attention to language and all kinds of different things. And I think as a parent, teaching your kids to do that is crazy important because yeah, yeah. most people, I think Christians in particular, like, I think they usually have fairly good intentions. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I'm, my kids are probably going to grow up going, I don't know what to do because my mom <laughs> makes me think that everybody's out to get me. Um, that's not really no, true. But you I know what I'm saying? If, if you, yeah, I think having our kids, it's, it's a hard balance. Of oh, like, it's crazy. Uh, but, you know, we're not just going to send our kids off to the thing and think that's going to make them like the, the big event, the, yeah. the big speaker, the, you know, the big influencer is going to be the person that makes them turn out to be just yes. like Jesus. Um, this is what I'm learning in my parenting process. And this started with my, when I was pregnant, okay. we want all the books. <laughs> we want the books to tell us, first of all, how to get that kid to sleep through the night. How to get your kid to Amen. eat as much as they need to eat. And then we get the parenting, how to get them to take a nap and listen. And, and then at a certain point, we think, we realize we have this moment. There's probably like a line that we cross <laughs> and we go, oh no, my infant never read that darn book. <laughs> and, and you learn quickly 
if you're not lucky, if you're not lucky, if you're really lucky, you think you did it all right. And because you did it right, your kid's doing the right thing. But if you are not lucky, you learn that you can do all the right things and your kid will just do their own thing because they are an individual. And the earlier we learn that, the better it is for us. And it is a lifelong learning thing where we learn it over and over again that says, we will do the best that we can with what we know. We will cling to God. And in the end, our kids will make up their own mind. We can only make it easier or harder for them. And we don't always know what that is. Mm -hmm. And do we all want a book that gives us the answer? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think there's one. There is not one out there. And the more we think there is, the more we get into trouble with legalism with our kids and parenting. And how much is that really trusting God? You know, it's trusting our ability to do the right thing. And, you know, we don't serve a God that's like, well, I really wanted your kid to turn out good, but Amber, you did, you know, page 12 said this and you didn't do it too bad. Well, and kid. I'm going to, so this is what I'm going to ask you. Cause some people right now are saying, yeah, we do. It's called the Bible, <laughs> right? I sure wish it was a little more specific on some things. Well, and I say that because I don't think either one of us are saying that that's not like, right. I mean, I study scripture every single day. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I don't just sit and read it. I really do dive mm-hmm. into it. But when people say that kind of thing, um, I can't help but wonder if, like, are you critically thinking at times? Because there isn't all of the answers in there. There are things that say, give us principles. Like, I think reading books and learning is great. It's when we ascribe everything we're going to do from this point forward to this one person's uh, thought process on what the Bible says about parenting. Yeah. What the Bible says about marriage, what the Bible says about women leading in church, what the Bible says about this, this, and this. Yeah. That it's like, then you're not actually really, you, you need to recognize that you still, your decisions are still being influenced by someone else's thinking about the Bible. Yeah. Right. And that's true in parenting too. And so with parenting as well, um, I just, I, I really try with the kids to, to have open dialogue. Like I'm pretty sure I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I feel like my kids will grow up and say, we could have a conversation about anything. It might get intense. Yeah. And we might disagree, but we felt safe going to mom and dad to have a conversation about, and I mean, sometimes that includes my kid's friends at school who at times call him a Democrat because of the things that he says. As if you that know? is the worst thing to be I called. Know. And to his friend, yeah, it is. It yeah. means he is other. Yeah. But, but oh, he doesn't. Yeah. But my son doesn't fit the other box because he is passionate about Jesus at mm-hmm. this point in his life. And I pray that continues. We have these nuanced conversations yes. all the time in our house. And so let your kid be able to have nuanced conversations because it really does make them stronger in what they believe in the long run. Yeah. than if you just say, nope, this is what we believe. Nope, this is what we believe. 
Yeah. And what kind of belief is it actually, if they're not allowed to actually have a conversation about it? It's, I mean, they're just biding their time until they can actually believe what they want to believe because you don't allow them to say the thing out loud. It's true. It's it's 100% true. Cause like you said, they are their own person. And speaking to somebody launching a child to college, going to, (sighs) we're going to orientation next week. So my oldest is going to college in, in August. And so He's fantastic. I cannot keep up with his brain. Oh, I know. That's my, my oldest we already. And he's not even going yeah. to college. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're we already smart. on a lot of things, <laughs> but here's what kids respect, especially as they get older, your ability to engage in good faith on things. Even if you yeah. can't keep up with all the YouTube videos they're watching and all the things they're reading about all the things that they're just obsessed with. If you acknowledge what you know, acknowledge what you don't know. And I mean, it makes all the difference. It makes mm-hmm. all the difference and ooh, it's hard, it uh, hard, but not, but pretending that it isn't, isn't helping us. Well, and forcing them into a mold isn't either. I mean, I think when they're young, you know, there's a reason why when they're young, yes, like we do have to set hard and fast rules and we are doing specific training. And certainly as a Christian parent, I am setting up some things when they're really young, hopefully to point them towards Jesus, not towards my brand of Christianity, but towards Christ. Yet they're still going to be influenced to think a little bit like I think because I'm the one who's been charged with doing that. But as they get older, right, like if you keep forcing them into the mold, like the mold, they do grow out of it eventually. And then they're just mad at us. Yeah. (laughs) Then they're just mad at us that we fed them full of all the stuff and never let them do anything. Yeah. So let me ask you something. Do you parent your kids the exact way that you were parented? And are do you believe everything about faith that you learned from your parents? Is it all the same? So I didn't grow up going to church all the time. I grew up in a very um, culturally Christian area. So we went, but we didn't go all the time. I said recently, I'm like, I said to my husband, I was like, honestly, I don't have, and he doesn't really have a lot of baggage because his mom was great about open dialogue. I mean, she's mm-hmm. always filtering. Yeah. Um, but I said, I don't have a lot of that evangelical baggage that you do. And I'm so glad or that our friends have. And what I mean is like, yeah, I grew up during purity culture, quote unquote, but I wasn't that wasn't where I interacted the most. And so I don't have that baggage. My kids are going to have that baggage. Um, And listen, we all have baggage from something. Some of us have carry-ons. Some of us have a big old luggage set. And so I parent very differently, but primarily it's because my kids are being raised in a Christian household where most of our life are or is spent in Christian circles. Yeah. You know, and so they're going to have baggage from that. And the quicker you can acknowledge that you're going to have baggage, that they're going to have baggage from that, the better you're going to be. That's just part of life. right? (laughs) But I love the fact that you already have some, you kind of push back to like the super popular thing because you're, you're not going to just always introduce to your kids the hero of evangelicalism as the guru to listen to (laughs) because you didn't, you didn't grow up with heroes where in my family, we grew up with the same voices on the radio all the time. Rush was Rush. Uh, We had Rush was on. 
Um, <laughs> you know, we had James Dobson on every day and we got Citizen Magazine that told us how to vote. And, you know, my dad listened to conservative talk radio. And, you know, this was just the way good people lived. And then, you know, one by one, these people that were the main voices, they all made some bad decisions mm-hmm. uh, at, at varying degrees. Yep. <laughs> Things that they said did not hold up. And it's really disappointing. So I think one of the best gifts we can give to our kids is to not elevate certain voices as the voice of God. You had said I should wear my t-shirt. I got, I got the t-shirt that has the umbrella. So the umbrella of, of authority thing is an IBLP goth third thing where there's all these, all these umbrellas with the top being God and then like the man and then the, the, the mom and then the kids and like, but there's like a million umbrellas like between God and like the bottom. And it kind of raises the question of like, is that top umbrella not even working? Mm. (laughs) Like that top umbrella works, the top umbrella works. And I think we, we think we need all these extra umbrellas for our kids. And it gives us a sense of like security, but in the end, y'all that, that umbrella is fine. Yeah. We don't need all the other umbrellas. In fact, they get in the way and they can be a distraction. I don't think either one of us are saying it's not wise for you to have mentors in your children's yeah. lives. Yeah. Um, or that pointing them in a direction of someone who is teaching things that you do agree with is like, oh, just, you know, throw them to the dogs. None of, that's not what we're saying here. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it is the authority, right? It's how much authority are you giving that over Christ? Yeah. Um, because if you were to really sit and think the reality is sometimes we are following harder after the knowledge or the person or the ideas than we are Christ. And I'm speaking to myself too. And so that always has to be something we're thinking about. Yeah. Um, you can't just turn your brain off and say, well, you know, that's even though, listen, my kids listen to Odyssey adventures and Odyssey, and they love it. We would listen to that for hours, like driving from Tennessee to, to, to Minneapolis to see family the whole way. Give us like the green ring conspiracy. Give us one of those long sagas to listen to. The whole, and we loved it. We just, absolutely... my children love adventures and odyssey, like love it. So when my They're daughter is so in well college done. going, when she's in college going, why did you listen? Yeah. And that's the thing to yeah. take something and just throw everything out can get us in a mess too. Um, that, yeah. And you know, telling our kids that, Hey, this you know, like there was one of these, one of the episodes was like, really like everybody went to, it was terrible because they played like a, a role-playing game or something. And they're like, Hey, dad plays role-playing game. <laughs> There's so many little things, you know, but like, you can have a conversation about it, right? You can have a conversation. And what if we taught our kids instead of like the only Christian, like we know the only, it's the only one way that to, to God and it's Jesus. We know that. But when we also say, Yes, there's only one way. It's Jesus. But there are a lot of Christians that believe things that are exactly the same. They don't all believe exactly like what it means, like when Jesus is coming back and how the end yeah. times work. That doesn't mean they're not gonna, they don't love Jesus. It doesn't mean they're not a Christian. Um, right. There's people that believe different things about like how old the earth is. Yes. 
the the idea that like okay god did it i don't exactly know how that's right i might not but, believe but it was seven days tell, but when we tell we're our kids <laughs> you have to believe that you know we're going to have this rapture at a certain such a time and it's going to be like in this time frame and that then this is going to have like these really specific things that aren't really laid out in scripture what we tell them is that they have to choose between their faith and like actual reality. And we don't want to do that. I can go so many different directions right now. <laughs> I know. It's it's yeah. really bad. My brain is wants to be like, see, I feel weird about like church membership, but that we should not have that conversation right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes we're so afraid of the slippery slope that we're afraid to have hard oh, yeah. conversations that are really good for us. Uh-huh. The truth holds up. Yes. Yes. It re- uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> That's what it we're going to put on a t-shirt. The truth holds up. I wanted to like wrap this up by saying uh, about the shiny, happy people thing. Mm. I, one thing I did not like mm-hmm. was having snarky people speaking on the docuseries. Uh, because I think it can sort of work against the message of like, what is the most important thing? These people were going to be snarky about them regardless I think it's, I think the more powerful voice was hearing from Kristen Kobes Dume on there, who loves Jesus, is a historian about all things evangelical culture. And she's not a snark, snarky person. Like her, having her voice on there made me feel like, yes, she's not out to destroy Christianity, where like mm-hmm. the Fundy, the Fundy Friday person, she's not one of us. And that's fine. She's not a bad person. But I think it's much more powerful when somebody that's part of the group, part yeah. that's, that is able to say, this is who we are. And it hasn't always been great, but we want to be better. I did feel like on that fourth episode and maybe even a little bit on the third, like it, it felt a little more like you're grasping at straws to extend this out a bit <laughs> to further. make it be four episodes. Yeah. Because I thought some of the ideas that they brought in were good ideas, but then it was like, I didn't feel like I finished that thinking any differently about homeschooling or it, or any differently about the other principles that Gothard uh, puts forth in his program beyond like, obviously this abusive situation, not okay. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that, that was a breeding grounds for abuse. Now I can say that because I'm in the homeschooling world and I know that not everybody in the homeschooling world is a complete and total whack job. Right. Like, yeah. Right. It's hard to bring nuance to something and get people really excited about it. Yeah. I mean, tell me one thing that doesn't have a bunch of whack jobs in it. (laughs) I'm super excited about nuance, but it takes more work. It takes a whole lot more work. So I hope it starts conversations for people. I hope it doesn't end the conversation. I hope it starts the conversation that says, what's really great about homeschool? And what are the potential problems with it? What's really great about wanting to teach our kids about Jesus? And what are our potential problems that we can fall into if we're not careful? It should be a conversation starter, hopefully, and not a conversation right. ender. Yeah. Same with modesty. Like, I, I think modesty matters. And like, I think we not- need to acknowledge so many things are cultural too. Like, oh yeah, it, you know, modesty is basically not bringing attention to yourself and it could have to do with your socioeconomic status as well. So it's a bigger a conversation. Point. Like I said, to, to bring it full circle almost, 
that those biases that we have in our brain are not always bad, right? Yeah. And we have a bit of a bias as Christians that when people show too much, that's saying something about them as a person. Mm-hmm. Now, I am not the one that's going to sit here and say that I think it's wise to do that for a myriad of reasons. But the one reason that I will say that it's is not is to protect the lust of a man. Um, that's, that's not the, the goal for modesty. Yeah. Um, so the bias in our own heads that can be healthy can also set up some things that we just automatically rattle off that really maybe isn't leading someone to a Christ-like behavior. It really is just feeding our own feelings of, well, that fits the character, that fits the bias that I have for a Christian yeah. person. Yeah, I agree. Good. All right. We should do this again, Amber. We need to. Let's do it. This is fun. A few things before we close. If you aren't following Untangled Faith podcast and Amy's work, please take a moment and do that now on your favorite listening app. Second, I want to know your thoughts about today's conversation. And would you like more bonus episodes? Click over to Instagram at graceenoughpodcast underscore Amber and share your thoughts on this episode's post or send me a DM or email me at graceenoughpodcast at gmail.com. Seriously, I appreciate and want your feedback. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.